Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. Welcome to the reading of the Courier Journal for Tuesday, August 29th, 2023, which is brought to our Louisville listeners via Louisville Public Media. As a reminder, Radio Eye is a reading service intended for people who are blind or have other disabilities that make it difficult to read printed material. Your reader for today is Angie Mims. We start today with the forecast through Sunday from the WHAS 11 First Alert Storm Team. Today, high 86, mostly sunny and pleasant. Tonight, low 64, a moonlit sky. Wednesday, high 80, low 60, mostly sunny and nice. Thursday, high 83, low 62, mostly sunny and pleasant. Friday, high 87, low 68, sunny and pleasant. Saturday, high 92, low 71, sunny and hot. Sunday, high 92, Low 73, mostly sunny and hot. The Almanac for Louisville on Sunday. Temperature, high 83, low 72. Normal high 88, normal low 68. Record high 99 in 1948. Record low 51 in 1946. Precipitation on Sunday, 0 inches. Month to date, 3.54 inches. Normal month to date, 3.3 inches. Year to date, 34.2 inches. Normal year to date, 33 inches. The pollen count from the National Allergy Bureau. Grass, high. Weeds, moderate. Trees and molds absent. Air quality, yesterday good, today good. Sun and moon, Tuesday. Sunrise, 7.10 a.m. Sunset, 8.18 p.m. Moonrise, 7.53 p.m. Moonset, 4.59 a.m. Wednesday, Sunrise, 7.11 a.m. Sunset, 8.16 p.m. Moonrise, 8.28 p.m. Moonset, 6.19 a.m. Moon Faces, Full Moon, August 30th. Last quarter, September 6th. New Moon, September 14th. First quarter, September 22nd. Weather history. Record cold invaded New England on August 29, 1965. 
Temperatures dropped to the mid-twenties in Vermont. Over two inches of snow topped Mount Washington, New Hampshire. Now for Tuesday's headlines. Rubbertown chemical release. Getting the warning. Louisville emergency alerts aren't reaching people most at risk. Here's why. By Connor Giffen. A chemical release on August 5th in Louisville's Rubbertown corridor triggered an emergency response and multiple notifications went out to the community as officials monitored a tank leaking hazardous vapors. Relatively few residents received initial communication of the spill. Those who did were left with more questions than answers, with no information on what chemicals were released, what health risks the chemicals posed, or how to stay safe from them. One alert, announcing a closure of Interstate 264 during the incident, referred cryptically to a civil emergency rather than a chemical release, stirring more confusion. Lens alerts, short for Louisville Emergency Notification System, are a primary line of official emergency communications for the city and surrounding counties. They're sent out for missing persons, severe weather, traffic disruptions, chemical spills, and more, and can reach cell phones, landlines, and email boxes. Get the alert. Sign up for Lens Alerts on the Louisville Metro Emergency Services website or by texting L-E-N-S-A-L-E-R-T, that's Lens Alert, to 672 Eight, three. But often, these communications fall short. In times of emergency, some residents say the alerts are too vague, lacking information relevant to public health and safety, and leaving community members to find answers themselves. And seven years after the city rolled out the system, enrollment data shows only a small margin of Jefferson County residents are receiving lens alerts at all. Emergency officials have especially struggled to grow enrollment numbers in the fence-line communities abutting the Rubbertown area, where risk from chemical spills is disproportionately high. The community has a right to know. The August 5th incident involved a metropolitan sewer district tank leaking a cloud of Terrastat 15-OF, a mix of potentially hazardous chemicals including hydrogen peroxide, acetic acid, parasitic acid, and sulfuric acid, officials told a Courier-Journal reporter at the time. The initial lens alert that morning reported no danger to the public from the escaping vapors and did not tell residents what chemicals were in play but officials soon determined the chemical tank was deteriorating and sent out a shelter-in-place order for dozens of surrounding homes. Some residents criticized emergency officials for not pairing that alert with instructions on how to shelter in place, what chemical had spilled, and potential symptoms from exposure. The shelter-in-place order was lifted by another alert more than four hours later. Attica Scott, former state representative and director of special projects at Forward Justice Action Network, spent some of that afternoon calling and texting people, checking in and making sure they knew about the spill and the shelter-in-place order. 
Most people had no idea because they're not signed up for Lens Alert, so they didn't get any kind of alert, she said. And then people, of course, were stressed and full of anxiety because now they're wondering, okay, what does this mean? Am I going to get cancer because I'm breathing in whatever the toxic emissions were from this chemical spill? The Lens Alert System, which costs Louisville Metro and the surrounding counties about $200,000 a year, has a character limit of 160 to accommodate all types of enrolled devices, according to Emergency Services Systems Analyst Cody Ashbaugh. This means messages are short and often devoid of context. Lens alerts on chemical spills or hazardous material incidents do not identify the chemicals in question, leaving concerned residents to search social media, local news, or investigate for themselves. Following the lack of details on the August 5th spill, Abani Cochran, co-director of the Grassroots Rubbertown Emergency Action Group and Chickasaw resident, went to the Air Pollution Control District and asked where she could find more documentation to understand what had happened. They told her she needed to file a request under Kentucky's open records law. I don't think these should be open record requests. I think that if you're putting my life in danger, if you're putting the lives of community members in danger, they shouldn't have to go through a whole process in order to gather documents, Cochran said. The community has a right to know what they're being exposed to and in what quantities. Low enrollment in areas bordering Rubbertown. About 6% of Jefferson County residents receive lens alerts across web, app, and text-based enrollments as of August, according to Louisville Metro Emergency Services data. The 17,000 text-based enrollments don't include general location data but nearly 30,000 web and app enrollments do. This data shows lower rates of enrollment in the zip codes bordering Rubbertown, with about 2% to 3% of people in those areas signed up online with their addresses. That's embarrassing, Scott said, and an indicator that emergency officials have lots of outreach and public engagement left to do. Introducing the tool to communities really doesn't take rocket science, Cochran said, adding that the city has marketing professionals throughout its ranks and should be working more with local community centers and neighborhood associations to get the word out. She's seen a lack of effort by the city to reach her community, and in some cases, just pure laziness. But Jody Myman, director of Louisville Metro Emergency Services, said the agency has done what it can to encourage enrollment. It's definitely not been a lack of effort on our part, he said, pointing to public engagement partnerships with Metro Council members, the Office for Immigrant Affairs, Autism Speaks, and other organizations, as well as outreach through local media and billboards. The Courier-Journal asked Myman about agency efforts to work with grassroots, community-led organizations, often more trusted by local residents, to help amplify the utility of lens alerts for public safety. He said he doesn't understand the lack of trust in his agency. I know we're local government, but how do you not trust somebody trying to get you information on some type of disaster that may be going on? I don't understand the mentality, he said. 
I don't understand why that trust shouldn't be there. Distrust in local government. Low-lens alert enrollments in West End neighborhoods are a symptom of the long-standing disconnect between metro government and residents, community leaders said. There needs to be more partnership, Scott said. Louisville metro government cannot operate in a silo and work by itself and think that's enough particularly when there's also an issue of lack of trust of local government. Chantrice Martin, a Parkland resident, said she was encouraged to sign up for Lens Alert at a booth at a resource fair several years ago, but wasn't able to get clear answers from the official about how her private data would be used after she enrolled. She didn't sign up. Without trust in emergency communications, some turned to people like Cochrane and other members of trusted local groups to keep them informed about potential chemical hazards in their community. I've definitely gotten more information from her than from the city at all, Martin said. Any personal information collected in the Lens Alert sign-up process, from medical information to pets, is stored and encrypted to the same degree bank information would be, Ashbaugh said. The information is only accessible to the agency when the registered user calls 911, and even then only for 45 minutes, he added. City agencies should work with local groups to reach more people and improve emergency communications, said Chanel Helm, a core lead organizer with Black Lives Matter Louisville and a Shively resident. And Cochrane recommended the city employ teens who live in the neighborhoods to canvas door-to-door for alert sign-ups. Grassroots organizations get these jobs done a lot faster, Helm said. We're already in communities with our folks. Even those who aren't signed up for Lens Alerts can still receive notifications from the separate Integrated Public Alert and Warning System, which does not require enrollment and is reserved for select urgent messages like shelter-in-place orders or amber alerts, for example. But if a chemical spill or hazardous material incident doesn't trigger an iPause alert, a vast majority of residents living close to the incident would likely not receive any emergency communication from the city, given low lens alert enrollment. And offering clear and accessible emergency communications around chemical hazards is becoming more and more needed, residents say. It's imperative that they do that, with the recent amount of emergencies that have taken place, Helm said. One day after the MSD chemical spill, residents were alerted of a separate hazardous materials incident at American Synthetic Rubber Company, another facility in Rubbertown. Recent events in Vermont, Maui, and Southern California have again elevated the need for fully informative and accessible emergency alerts, said Monica Unseld, founder of Until Justice Data Partners and a public health professional, in an email. There will be more chemical and natural disasters. They will hit more zip codes. We must have a right to know how to protect ourselves and our loved ones. Next, two dead, five hurt in downtown shooting. Police called to site on Market Street early Sunday by Ray Johnson. 
Two people are dead and five others were injured Sunday after an early morning shooting at a West Market Street restaurant. Around 3 a.m., officers from the Louisville Metro Police Department responded to the report of a shooting at the Southern Restaurant and Lounge, 301 West Market Street, where they found a man had been shot and was pronounced dead at the scene, LMPD spokesperson Dwight Mitchell said. Officials later said they believed the shooting started between restaurant goers and people on the street. Our thoughts are with these victims and their families, Louisville Mayor Craig Greenberg said at a Sunday afternoon news conference. Five people were taken to the University of Louisville Hospital, but one man later died from his injuries, Greenberg said. A sixth person was located at the Jewish Hospital, and their condition is unknown, police said. First Division Commander Major Shannon Lauder told local media at a news conference Sunday morning that the sixth person's injury may have been due to a fall related to the shooting. During a Sunday news conference, LMPD Lieutenant Colonel Ryan Bates said the initial investigation shows there were approximately 200 to 300 people at the location. The Louisville fire officials previously determined that the facility's capacity is 105 people. There have been other measures to address problems at the Southern Restaurant and Lounge, Greenberg said. The mayor and the building's landlord have worked together to terminate the lease, which will take effect Thursday. Brad Silveria, the local alcohol beverage control administrator, has also reached out to state officials to apply for termination of the establishment's license. If granted, business operations would cease immediately, Silveria said. Greenberg called on Metro Council to start conversations with the city administration and the community to determine whether some bars should be allowed to stay open until 4 a.m. We will enforce our laws and ordinances, Greenberg said. There are too many of these incidents happening in the middle of the night when bars and clubs are the only businesses that are still open. We must do more to address our gun violence epidemic. There is no suspect information, police officials said. Next, storm strengthens, threatens Florida's Gulf Coast. Associated Press, Dateline, Miami. Tropical storm Idalia intensified early Monday and was expected to become a major hurricane before it reaches Florida's Gulf Coast, the National Hurricane Center said Monday, warning of an increasing risk of life-threatening storm surge and dangerous hurricane force winds in Florida as soon as late Tuesday. Heavy rainfall in western Cuba could produce flooding and landslides, forecasters said and hurricane-force winds were expected later Monday. At 8 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time Monday, the storm was about 90 miles off the western tip of Cuba with maximum sustained winds of 65 miles per hour. The storm was moving north at 8 miles per hour at the time, the Hurricane Center said. The center's update also included a hurricane advisory for the Cuban province of Pinar del Rio. Forecasters said they expected Idalia to become a hurricane later Monday and a dangerous major hurricane by early Wednesday over the northeastern Gulf of Mexico. 
Idalia was expected to move northward Monday, then turn north-northeast on Tuesday and Wednesday and move at a faster pace. The center was forecast to pass over the extreme southeastern Gulf of Mexico by early Tuesday and reach Florida's western coast on Wednesday. Along a vast stretch of Florida's west coast, up to 11 feet of ocean water could surge onshore, raising fears of destructive flooding. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who is a candidate for the GOP presidential nomination, noted that much uncertainty remains in the forecast. DeSantis canceled a day of campaign appearances to deal with crises at home as the state prepares for the storm and mourns a racist fatal shooting in Jacksonville. A day after appearing in Iowa, he was back in the state capital of Tallahassee on Sunday for a news conference on the storm. This thing hasn't even gotten to Cuba yet, and the water in the Gulf is very, very warm, and so that will provide some fuel for this thing to pick up some more speed, he said. Large parts of the western coast of Florida are at risk of seawater surging onto land and flooding communities when a tropical storm or hurricane approaches. That part of Florida is very vulnerable to storm surges, Jamie Rome, deputy director of the National Hurricane Center, said Sunday. So it will not take a strong storm system or a direct hit to produce significant storm surge, he said. In Cedar Key, a fishing village that juts out into the Gulf of Mexico, a storm surge is among the greatest concerns, said Captain A.J. Brown, a fishing guide who operates A.J. Brown Charters. The concern is that if the storm strikes Florida just to the north, Cedar Key would get the powerful surge that comes from being on the southeastern side of the storm. There are worries in Cedar Key about a storm surge, Brown said. If it reaches five feet, it would cover most everything downtown. Mexico's National Meteorological Service on Sunday warned of intense to torrential rains showering the Yucatan Peninsula with winds as fast as 55 miles per hour. It said the storm could cause anything from powerful waves to flooding in southern Mexico, mainly around coastal cities in the Yucatan and Quintana Roo states. It asked citizens to stay alert. Florida has mobilized 1,100 National Guard members, and they have at their disposal 2,400 high-water vehicles, as well as 12 aircraft that can be used for rescue and recovery efforts, DeSantis said. If you are in the path of this storm, you should expect power outages, he added. So far this year, the U.S. East Coast has been spared from cyclones. But in the West, Tropical Storm Hillary caused widespread flooding, mudslides, and road closures earlier this month in Mexico, California, Nevada, and points to the north. The National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration recently said the 2023 hurricane season would be far busier than initially forecast, partly because of extremely warm ocean temperatures. The season runs through November 30th, with August and September typically the peak. Next, U.S. workers lack heat protection. Safeguards are largely at discretion of employers, by Gabe Stern, Associated Press, Dateline, Reno, Nevada. 
Santos Brizuela spent more than two decades laboring outdoors, persisting despite a bout of heat stroke while cutting sugarcane in Mexico and chronic laryngitis from repeated exposure to the hot sun while on various other jobs. But last summer, while on a construction crew in Las Vegas, he reached his breaking point. Exposure to the sun made his head ache immediately. He lost much of his appetite. Now at a maintenance job, Brizuela, 47, is able to take breaks. There are flyers on the walls with best practices for staying healthy, protections he had not been afforded before. Sometimes as a worker, you ask your employer for protection or for health and safety-related needs, and they don't listen or follow, he said in Spanish through an interpreter. A historic heat wave that began blasting the southwest and other parts of the country this summer is shining a spotlight on one of the harshest yet least addressed effects of U.S. climate change, the rising deaths and injuries of people who work in extreme heat, whether inside warehouses and kitchens or outside under the blazing sun. Many of them are migrants in low-wage jobs. State and federal governments have long implemented federal procedures for environmental risks exacerbated by climate change, namely drought, flood, and wildfires. But extreme heat protections have generally lagged with no owner in state and federal governments, said Lad Keith, an assistant professor of planning at Arizona State University. In some ways, we have a very long way to catch up to the governance gap in treating the heat as a true climate hazard, Keith said. There is no federal heat standard in the U.S. despite an ongoing push from President Joe Biden's administration to establish one. Most of the hottest U.S. states currently have no heat-specific standards either. Instead, workers in many states who are exposed to extreme heat are ostensibly protected by what is known as the General Duty Clause, which requires employers to mitigate hazards that could cause serious injury or death. The clause permits state authorities to inspect work sites for violations, and many do, but there are no consistent benchmarks for determining what constitutes a serious heat hazard. What's unsafe isn't always clear, said Juanita Constable a senior advocate from the National Resources Defense Council who tracks extreme heat policy. Without a specific heat standard, it makes it more challenging for regulators to decide, okay, this employer is breaking the law or not. Many states are adopting their own versions of a federal emphasis program, increasing inspections to ensure employers offer water, shade, and breaks but citations and enforcement still must go through the general duty clause. Extreme heat is notably absent from the list of disasters to which the Federal Emergency Management Agency can respond. And while regional floodplain managers are common throughout the country, there are only three newly created chief heat officer positions to coordinate extreme heat planning in Miami-Dade County, Phoenix, and Los Angeles. Federal experts have recommended extreme heat protections since 1972, but it wasn't until 1997 and 2006, respectively, that Minnesota and California adopted the first statewide protections. For a long time, those states were the exception, with only a smattering of others joining them throughout the early 2000s.
But as heat waves get longer and hotter, the tide is starting to change. Colorado strengthened existing rules last year to require regular rest and meal breaks in extreme heat and cold and provide water and shade breaks when temperatures hit 80 degrees Fahrenheit. Washington State last month updated 15-year-old heat safety, safety standards to lower the temperature at which cool-down breaks and other protections are required. Oregon, which adopted temporary heat protection rules in 2021, made them permanent last year. Several other states are considering similar laws or regulations. Arizona Governor Katie Hobbs recently announced new regulations through the Heat Emphasis Program and declared a state of emergency over extreme heat, allowing the state to reimburse various government entities for funds spent to provide relief from high temperatures. This concludes readings for the first sections of the Courier-Journal for Tuesday, August 29, 2023. Stay tuned for the Metro section to follow immediately. Your reader has been Angie Mims. Now to continue reading from the Courier-Journal for August 22nd, starting with the Metro section. Your reader is Chris Greco. We will start with the obituaries. We read only the name, age, and location. If you would like further information on any of the obituaries, please call us during the weekdays at 859 422 6390, and we will be glad to read the entire obituary for you. I will repeat that number at the end of the listings. Thomas Henry Graves, age 76, no location given. If you would like further information about the listing today, call us during the weekdays at 859-422-6390, and we will be glad to read the entire item to you. The first story in today's Metro section, PACS new ads blame Bashir for JCPS bus mess. By Olivia Krauth, Louisville Courier-Journal, USA Today Network. There were a myriad of reasons that led to the school's shuttering disaster related to Jefferson County Public Schools' new bus route system. Now a conservative PAC says Democratic Governor Andy Bashir is one of them. JCPS's bus debacle entered the Kentucky governor's race this week when a set of twin ads from Protect Freedom PAC tried to link Bashir to the failure while implying Republican opponent Daniel Cameron has a plan to address the underlying issues. The PAC, which is tied to GOP Senator Rand Paul, said in its bus negative ad that Bashir was culpable by failing to act on numerous solutions before him, including a plan to give parents the right to send their child to their neighborhood school. A PAC spokesperson has not responded to a request for comment sent Thursday, seeking further clarity regarding to which plan it is referring. Neighborhood school, particularly in the context of JCPS, typically refers to the practice of sending students to whatever school is closest to them. For decades, JCPS bus students out of Louisville's majority black and poor West End, passing nearby schools to diversify schools in whiter, wealthier suburbs. But the district ended that practice on its own in 2022. This school year is the first time in nearly a half century that some West End students have been able to go to schools closer to home, aka their neighborhood school. 
Busing for diversity is also not the same thing as providing daily transportation to and from school for the 70% of JCPS's 96,000 students who take the school bus. District officials have said the bus issues that closed schools after the first day this year occurred countywide rather than just in one part of town. Bashir, who took office in 2019, hasn't faced a bill regarding neighborhood schools. Such, such legislation was last filed in 2017 when Representative Kevin Bratcher, Republican of Louisville, sponsored a bill that would require districts to let students attend the school closest to home. That measure died in the Senate. After JCPS canceled the first week of classes due to bus struggles, Bratcher and 11 other Republicans, Louisville Republicans, pushed Bashir to call a special session aimed at the district. Bratcher said he would file his legislation on neighborhood schools. Bashir spokeswoman Crystal Staley said Thursday the administration is unaware of receiving a formal special session request, a week after Republicans first made their call. The PAC's second ad, this one dubbed Bus Positive, claims Bashir is passing blame when it comes to the JCPS ordeal. Cameron, his Republican opponent, is stepping up, promising real reform to address these issues, including a plan to give parents the right to send their child to their neighborhood school. While Cameron has supported some school choice measures, supporting such a plan hasn't been a focus of his education platform. A Cameron campaign spokesperson did not respond to a request for comment Thursday. Earlier this week, Superintendent Marty Polio blamed the bus issue on a lack of technology to help drivers, a surge of 5,000 unexpected bus stops, and delays at the district's bus depots. The district had implemented a new system of bus routes and school start times this year with the intention of avoiding delays and missed class time it saw last school year due to a shortage of bus drivers. The locally elected JCPS school board approved the plan earlier this year. Kentucky's governor traditionally is not involved or consulted in local school district decisions. Andy Bashir has led the charge to fully fund our public education system and get our educators the raises they deserve so we can retain and recruit the best for our kids, Bashir campaign spokesman Alex Floyd said. Now, Daniel Cameron's allies are running ads admitting that the centerpiece of his education plan is a voucher scheme that would take tax dollars out of public schools and send them to unaccountable private ones. Cameron's not offering any real solutions, just a retread of old ideas that would defund and hurt our public schools. Dan Bands, the founder of Medium Buying, told the Courier-Journal that the PAC had not put either ad on TV as of Thursday. The next story is titled, Need Help in a Heat Wave? Louisville Offers Options, by Ray Johnson, Louisville Courier-Journal, USA Today Network. Those in need of a cooling center have a few options provided by the city during the upcoming heat wave. Eight Neighborhood Place locations will be open. Neighborhood Place is an initiative to provide families and individuals with better access to community-based services, according to the city website. Louisville Metro Parks and Recreation's 14 community centers will be open during regular operating hours, and some partner with Dare to Care to offer the Kids Cafe program to give free evening meals to people 18 and under, according to Kevin Traeger, spokesperson for Louisville Mayor Craig Greenberg. 17 branches of the Louisville Free Public Library will be open during regular business hours as well, Traeger said.
The Metro Senior Nutrition Program has 14 congregate sites for those 60 and older to get lunches and do activities in air-conditioned spaces, Traeger said. Operation White Flag Operation White Flag, coordinated by the Coalition for the Homeless, ensures individuals experiencing houselessness can find shelter during severe weather, Traeger said. The program is active when the temperature or heat index is 95 degrees or higher. A white flag is flown outside participating shelters to signal its participation, Traeger said. People can stay at the shelter while the weather persists. Shelters include Wayside Christian Mission, which accepts cats and dogs, 432 East Jefferson Street, Salvation Army Center, that's a day shelter only, 911 South Brook Street. Wave Tark Fees. Transit Authority of River City waives fares for those who need a ride to a shelter. The passenger can alert the driver when boarding, Traeger said. Water Distribution. Metro employees check on areas with unhoused populations to distribute water in order to help prevent dehydration, Traeger said. Pools, splash pads, and spray grounds. The city's more than 30 splash pads and spray grounds will be open during normal hours, dawn to dusk, during the heat wave, Traeger said. The next story is titled, Grocery Chain Plans Second Louisville Store at East End Shopping Center Site. By Matthew Glowicki, Louisville Courier-Journal, USA Today Network. Another grocery store appears slated for far eastern Jefferson County. A location of the Fresh Market grocery store is planned for the paddock shops 4055 Summit Plaza Drive off Brownsboro Road. Paperwork filed with the city indicates the North Carolina-based grocer will take the spot formerly held by Barnes & Noble. The shopping center's owners are seeking to build a loading dock at the rear of the former Barnes & Noble at the center's southwest corner, according to an application filed earlier this week with Louisville's Planning and Design Services office. Patrice Molner, spokeswoman for the Fresh Market, said she had no additional information to offer. Paddock Shop's property manager, Rita Irwin, declined to comment. The new grocery store would have plenty of nearby competition, from Kroger directly across Brownsboro Road to the upcoming Publix about one mile away at the corner of Ballardsville and Brownsboro Roads, not to mention a Rainbow Blossom, Meyer, Aldi, Walmart, and another Kroger all within two to three miles. The Fresh Market, founded and based in North Carolina, operates 160 stores across 22 states, including Kentucky. A paddock shop's location would be the second in Louisville for the company, which has operated at 1805 Rudy Lane since 2010. The Fresh Market closed the first location it opened in the Louisville market, 10480 Shelbyville Road in Douglas Hills, in 2018, after 18 years in operation as part of a wave of closures, citing underperformance. Barnes & Noble downsized earlier this year, moving from the 39,000-square-foot corner location to 4330 Summit Plaza Drive, formerly home to Pier 1 Imports. In 2012, Earth Fair was the first grocer to open at the paddock shops. It closed in 2016. The shopping center is home to about 60 tenants and boasts 353,000 square feet of retail space. Our next story, Hillary Threatens Oregon, Idaho, Why Tropical Storm Became So Big Still a Mystery, by Mark J. Terrell, 
John Antsack and Julie Watson, Associated Press, Palm Desert, California. Hillary, the first tropical storm to hit Southern California in 84 years, swept people into swollen rivers, toppled trees onto homes, and flooded roadways as the massive system marched northward Monday, prompting flood watches and warnings in more than half a dozen states. The National Hurricane Center in Miami said Hillary had lost much of its steam and only vestiges of the storm were heading over the Rocky Mountains but warned that continued life-threatening and locally catastrophic flooding was expected over portions of the southwestern U.S. following record-breaking rainfall. Hillary first slammed into Mexico's arid Baja California Peninsula as a hurricane, causing one death and widespread flooding before becoming a tropical storm, one of several potentially catastrophic natural events affecting uh, California on Sunday. Besides the tropical storm, which produced tornado warnings, there were wildfires and a moderate earthquake north of Los Angeles. So far, no deaths, serious injuries, or extreme damages have been reported in the state, though officials warn that risks remain, especially in the mountainous regions where the wet hillsides could unleash mudslides. In the San Bernardino Mountains, east of Los Angeles, crews were working to clear mud that has been blocking the homes of about 800 residents, said Cal Fire Battalion Chief Allison Hesterly. Residents also pitched in. In the mountain community of Oak Glen, Brooke Horsebull helped dig out a home surrounded by about four feet of mud to free a couple, including an older man with medical issues. Amid the storm Sunday in Palm Desert, Terry Flanagan heard a huge crash and then got a text from a neighbor that a eucalyptus tree, more than 100 feet tall, fell onto a condo across the street. She later learned it landed on the bed of her neighbor's 11-year-old son, who was luckily in another room. It was very unnerving, Flanagan said, adding that the family had gone to stay with relatives while removal crews came Monday morning to remove the branches. Oh my gosh, what could have happened? Mora Tora felt a similar relief after a three-story tall tree crashed down on her daughter's two cars but missed the family's house in the Sun Valley area of Los Angeles. Thank God my family is okay, she said. Hillary is just the latest measure weather event to wreak havoc across the U.S., Canada, and Mexico. Hawaii's island of Maui is still reeling from a blaze that killed more than 100 people, making it the deadliest U.S. wildfire in more than a century. Firefighters in Canada are battling the nation's worst fire season on record. Hot water and hot air were both crucial factors that enabled Hillary's rapid growth, steering it on an unusual but not quite unprecedented path that dumped 10 months of rain in just one day in some normally bone-dry places. Death Valley National Park received a full year's worth of rain in one day and remained closed indefinitely. About 400 people were being sheltered at Furnace Creek, Stovepipe Wells, and Panamint Springs until roads could be made passable, park officials said. Rain came in two bursts on Sunday, in the morning and evening, totaling 2.2 inches at a National Weather Service rain gauge at Furnace Creek. If verified, it would be the single rainiest day in the area's history, beating its record of 1.7 inches set August 5, 2022. Park officials responded Monday to sewer line damage releasing raw sewage into the desert below stovepipe wells. If a storm is larger, it's going to rain longer and over more places, said MIT hurricane scientist Kerry Emanuel. 
Scientists still don't know why some storms, like Hillary, get big and some stay small, he said. It's quite unusual for an eastern Pacific storm to be so large, since they're usually small and stay deep in the tropics, said University of Albany atmospheric scientist Kristen Corbusierio, an expert on Pacific hurricanes. Sunday was the wettest day on record in San Diego, with 1.82 inches, the NWS said in a post on X, formerly known as Twitter. The previous record was on August 17, 1977, when 1.8 inches of rain fell in the area post-Hurricane Doreen. We basically blew all of our previous rainfall records out of the water, National Weather Service meteorologist Elizabeth Adams in San Diego told the Associated Press. The wet weather might stave off wildfires for a few weeks in Southern California and in parts of the Sierra Nevada, but widespread rain is not expected in the most fire-prone areas. University of California, Los Angeles, climate scientist Daniel Swain said in an online briefing Monday. The water rose knee-high in a homeless encampment along the rising San Diego River where fire officials rescued 13 people. Farther north, crews pumped floodwaters out of the emergency room at Eisenhower Medical Center in Rancho Mirage. In Cathedral City in the desert, Kimberly Garnica, 20, woke up to find that her car was stuck in mud outside her home. You can just tell the streets aren't really built for this, she said. In the Coachella Valley city of Desert Hot Springs, Stephen Michael Chacon said the roads and the housing development where he and his husband live were impassable due to flooding, and he was concerned emergency crews might not be able to reach people. The center of Hillary passed over downtown Los Angeles at 7 p.m. Sunday, according to the Regional Weather Service, which called it a day for the ages in Southern California. Los Angeles was tested, but we came through it, and we came through it with minimal impacts considering what we endured, City Council President Paul Krikorian said. A tropical storm has last roared into California in 1939, ripping apart train tracks, tearing houses from their foundations, and capsizing many boats. Nearly 100 people were killed on land and at sea. As Hillary moved into the neighboring state of Nevada, flooding was reported, power was out, and a boil water order was issued for about 400 households in the Mount Charleston area, where the only road in and out was washed out. The area is about 40 miles west of Las Vegas. Forecasters said the threat for flooding in states farther north on Monday was highest across much of the southeastern Oregon into the west-central mountains of Idaho. The forecast calls for potential thunderstorms and localized torrential rains on Tuesday, said Jackson McFarlane, a meteorologist with the Weather Service in Boise, Idaho. The next article is titled, Students Protest Planned Cuts at West Virginia University, by Leah Wilmingham and John Raby, Associated Press, Morgantown, West Virginia. West Virginia University students staged a walkout Monday to protest the proposed elimination of academic programs and show support for faculty and staff whose jobs are being targeted as the university addresses a $45 million budget shortfall. Separate midday rallies were organized by the West Virginia United Students Union, which encouraged protesters to wear red. Organizers said they want to halt the university's planned reductions seek an independent audit of its finances, and reduced WVU's administrative spending. They're also calling for increased spending by the states in higher education, among other things. 
Earlier this month, the university recommended the elimination of 9% of the majors and 7% of the total faculty in Morgantown, while the university said the proposed cuts would represent a total of 434 students, or 2% of its enrollment, critics have said that figure should be higher because it only counted students whose first major is in one of the affected programs. The university cited low interest in targeting the Department of World Languages, Literature, and Linguistics for elimination. That includes bachelor's degrees in French and Spanish along with Chinese, German, and Russian studies, and master's programs in linguistics and teaching English to speakers of other languages. Professor Lisa DiMartolomo, who coordinates the Russian Studies and Slavic and Eastern European Studies programs, has urged others to pepper the university with pleas to continue all of the language programs. The long-term implications for students from the state of West Virginia could be drastic, she said. I don't see how it avoids pushing people out of state, and I think the impact on West Virginia students happens from top to bottom, she said Monday. I think what's going to happen is going to exacerbate the already existing brain drain that West Virginia has experienced for decades. Young people see fewer and fewer options for their futures in the state of West Virginia. West Virginia lost the greatest percentage of its residents from 2010 to 2020. It is the only state that has fewer residents than it did in 1950. President E. Gordon G. and other top university officials have said the budget shortfall is largely a result of enrollment declines. The student population at West Virginia University has dropped 10% since 2015. The proposed cuts don't affect fall classes, and individual departments were allowed to appeal. The WVU Board of Governors is scheduled to make final recommendations September 15th. Staff and faculty reduction letters will be sent in mid-October. Earlier this month, G told the university's faculty senate he plans to step down when his contract expires in two years. That news came a week after the WVU Board of Governors extended his contract by one year to June 2025. He remains a member of the university's law school faculty. The next story is titled, Amazon Shipping Returns as Option to Sellers. Service paused early and pandemic relaunched. Associated Press. Amazon has restarted a shipping service it paused in the early days of the COVID-19 pandemic, and that competes with carriers like FedEx and UPS. Amazon Shipping, which allows sellers to ship Amazon orders or products sold on other sites, has relaunched, the company confirmed Friday. Businesses must sell on Amazon to be eligible for the service, according to a company spokesperson. The Seattle-based retail company already provides shipping to merchants who use its storage and delivery service, Fulfillment, by Amazon. Amazon Shipping allows sellers to use the company's delivery services without storing their products in its warehouses. It operates only for domestic shipments. The e-commerce giant tested the program in the past, but the company paused it in 2020 to better handle orders that were being made on its own platform amid the pandemic-induced surge in online shopping. We're always working to develop new, innovative ways to support Amazon's selling partners, and Amazon Shipping is another option for shipping packages to customers quickly and cost-effectively, Amazon spokesperson Olivia Connor said in a statement. We've been providing this service for a while with positive feedback, so we're now making it available to more selling partners, Connor said. During the pandemic, Amazon beefed up its logistics footprint in an effort to handle orders that were flooding its site. 
but as the worst of the pandemic eased, the company had an excess amount of warehouse space across the country, a problem it later addressed by subleasing some, ending leases and deferring construction on new buildings. Meanwhile, Amazon's shipping speeds have also accelerated. During the second quarter of this year, more than half of prime orders across the top U.S. metro areas arrived the same day or the next, the company said last month, touting what is called its fastest prime speed ever. The company also publicized its plans to double the number of same-day delivery sites in the coming years. The next story, California DMV asks GM for cuts to fleets of robo-taxis. Action comes after two crashes in San Francisco, Associated Press. General Motors Cruise Autonomous Vehicle Unit has agreed to cut its fleet of San Francisco robo-taxis in half as authorities investigate two recent crashes in the city. The State Department of Motor Vehicles asked for the reduction after a cruise vehicle without a human driver collided with an unspecified emergency vehicle on Thursday. The DMV is investigating recent concerning incidents involving cruise vehicles in San Francisco, the DMV said Saturday in a statement to the Associated Press. Cruise has agreed to a 50% reduction, will have no more than 50 driverless vehicles in operation during the day and 150 driverless vehicles in operation at night. The development comes just over a week after California regulators allowed Cruise and Google spin-off Waymo to operate autonomous robo-taxis throughout San Francisco at all hours, despite safety worries spurred by recurring problems with unexpected stops and other erratic behavior. The decision August 10th by the Public Utilities Commission made San Francisco the first major U.S. city with two fleets of driverless vehicles competing for passengers. On Thursday around 10 p.m., the cruise vehicle had a green light, entered an intersection, and was hit by the emergency vehicle responding to a call, the San Francisco Chronicle reported, based on tweets from Cruise. The robo-taxi was carrying a passenger who was taken by ambulance to a hospital with injuries that were not severe, Cruise told the newspaper. Also Thursday night, a cruise car without a passenger collided with another vehicle in San Francisco, the newspaper reported. The San Francisco Fire Department did not immediately respond to a request for comment from the newspaper. The robo-taxi almost immediately identified the emergency response vehicle as it came into view, Craig Dietrich, Cruz's general manager in San Francisco, said in a statement on the company website. At the intersection, visibility is occluded by buildings, and it's not possible to see objects around a corner until they are very close to the intersection, Dietrich's statement said. The cruise autonomous vehicle detected the siren as soon as it was distinguishable from background noise, he wrote. The AV's ability to successfully chart the emergency vehicle's path was complicated by the fact that the emergency vehicle was in the oncoming lane of traffic, which it had moved into to bypass the red light, Dijick wrote. The cruise vehicle identified the risk of a crash and braked, reducing its speed, but couldn't avoid the collision, he wrote. The company will work with regulators and city departments to reduce the likelihood of a crash happening again, Diedrich wrote. And a few stories from The Wire, Nation and World Briefs. The first, Ecuadorians reject oil drilling in the Amazon, ending operation. Rio de Janeiro. Ecuadorians voted against drilling for oil in a protected area of the Amazon, an important decision that will require the state oil company to end its operations in a region that's home to two uncontacted tribes and is a hotspot of biodiversity. 
Yasuni National Park is inhabited by the Tajiri and Teromenani who live in self-isolation. Encompassing a surface area of over 2.5 million acres, it boasts 610 species of birds, 139 species of amphibians, and 121 species of reptiles. With over 90% of the ballots counted by Monday, around 6 in 10 Ecuadorians rejected the oil exploration in Block 43, situated within the USANI. The next story, Tropical Storm Franklin nears Haiti, Dominican Republic, San Juan, Puerto Rico. Tropical, Tropical Storm Franklin churned through the Caribbean Sea on Monday as authorities in Haiti and the Dominican Republic warned residents to prepare for floods and landslides. The storm was located some 240 miles south of Santo Domingo, the capital of the Dominican Republic, and had maximum sustained winds of 50 miles per hour. It was moving west at 6 miles per hour and was forecast to make a sharp turn north late Monday or early Tuesday. Franklin is expected to strengthen before making landfall late Tuesday in Hispaniola, the island shared by Haiti and the Dominican Republic. The storm is forecast to drop up to 10 inches of rain in both countries, with up to 15 inches in isolated areas. And the last story, Guatemala elects progressive Arevalo as president. A progressive from outside Guatemala's power structure was resoundingly elected the, county, the country's next president and a reprimand to the governing elite over widespread allegations of corruption. We want to think that the force of this victory is going to make it clear that there is no place for the attempts to derail the electoral process. Aravello said Sunday night, the Guatemalan people have spoken forcefully. This concludes excerpts from the Courier-Journal for August 22nd. Your reader has been Chris Greco. Please stay tuned for continued programming from Radio I. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.